Hello, Energy Strong Nation. Thank you for joining us today. This is Mike Umbro, your host. David Ramsden Wood is not able to make it this morning. He's coaching his son's golf team, so he's standing in and, and helping out. But I am so excited to be joined today by Meredith Angwin, author of Shorting the Grid, The Hidden Fragility of Our Electric Grid. She has an extensive history uh, working in the environmental realm for uh, various companies, the Electric Power Research Institute, where she led projects in renewable and nuclear energy. So I think it's just such a timely uh, day and morning to be able to record with you, Meredith. And um, please, you know, tell us, I guess, just briefly, uh, what what has motivated you to become an author? I think that's that that must have been such an undertaking. And and I want to know, you know, for the listeners out there, what was your motivation to really take it to that level of research and and um, you know spreading knowledge to the world? Well, to become an author, I mean, I've always done some writing. I mean, I'm a chemist. I'm a physical chemist. I worked at pollution control uh, projects and on uh, corrosion control projects. That's the kind of thing physical chemists do. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, I felt that there were some gaps uh, in information. Well, let's start with the fact that I'm very pro-nuclear, and mm -hmm. I was defending Vermont Yankee. Uh, which is a power plant that closed. And I began okay. writing a blog about Vermont Yankee called Yes, Vermont Yankee. Okay. And so I was following the information about Vermont Yankee wherever I could find it, sometimes newspapers, sometimes uh, trade press. And every now and again, Vermont Yankee would have some kind of interaction with the grid operator. And I would research what what, what does this mean? And I would write it up and, and so forth. So I ended up writing a bit about the grid and somebody in the consumer liaison group of our grid operator, our grid operator is ISO New England. Okay. And uh, the it has a consumer liaison group that's supposed to be the consumer's voice in the energy markets. Now it really isn't the consumer's voice in the energy markets, but I didn't know that. And uh, I was happy to have joined it anyway, because it was as close to a consumer's voice as a person was likely to get. Right. So at any rate, um, he suggested I join it. Well, I joined it and I began to get a deeper understanding than one blog post at a time about one power plant's interactions with the uh, uh, grid operator. And uh, so I, be, I, I was in it for four years. I, I was actually writing a fair amount about the grid before, but it, when I joined the consumer liaison group, I realized that my knowledge had been very limited. Uh -huh. And in the consumer liaison group, I was able to see how things happened and 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 the various interest groups were there and right. the uh, grid operator was there and we were concerned with various FERC uh, uh, rules and mm -hmm. all this, and and I began to realize that these FERC rules were not just FERC rules they mm -hmm. had you know um, groups uh, in favor of them groups against them I mean so I began to have a, a better understanding and I also began to be worried because it seemed to me that nobody really was responsible for the reliability of the grid. Mm -hmm. And uh, that there were all kinds of uh, different 
people, different activities. Right. But the buck never stopped anywhere. Okay. Right. right. I actually, I have a note here. The theme of this show that I was thinking about before we started, I thought, well, you know, it, it really comes down to broken promises. There are all of these agencies, these environmental advocates or researchers or, or universities, and all of these uh, big systems coming together, making us promises about what the future could be. But as, as you're talking about, really without a coherent and easy to understand strategy that's going to work. Well, it isn't even that they have a strategy. What happens is I, I've been I've been thinking about this a lot. It's very easy to learn about what I call the could grid. What could happen? Uh -huh. What we could do? How we're going to work as soon as we get enough uh, uh, batteries installed, et cetera, et cetera. How we're we're going to have a hundred percent renewables? No, we're not going to have a hundred. We're going to have zero carbon. Right. I mean, so there's a hundred. If you pick up your Sunday paper or the equivalent or listen to a news program, you can find out a lot about the could grid, the grid that we supposedly right. could have sometime in the future. It's right. extraordinarily hard to find out about the machinations and rules of the actual grid you have. Right, exactly. It's it is extraordinarily hard. There's you know, for, for me being in California, you've got the California Energy Commission, you've got Kaizo, the California Independent System Operator. You've got, um, you know, the PUC. the PUC. You've got, yeah. And it's like for us, I'm, you know, uh, I love doing the podcast, but I do have a day job, which is developing an energy project in West Kern County. And we're specifically looking at how can we address long duration energy storage. And just the learning process to, to, to investigate the market, to understand where the market is going, and to understand how it all fits together is in and of itself a full-time job. Oh, it is totally a full-time job. And also, I don't mean to be discouraging to you, but basically, you can't learn about the markets because they change them all the time. Right. I, I yeah. mean, you know, so whatever you know now can be over overthrown in 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 in, in uh, a new report followed by a new um, a new uh, uh, a new rule. Um, I, I right. see. Gotcha. Uh, I popped up, but can you see what I'm sharing here? Yes. I know it's not great for those that might be on the audio version of this but the video it'll be good and for us to talk about it but this is you're talking exactly about what i'm looking at and this is a source strategy consulting that did a long duration energy storage uh study and and market outlook for uh the california energy commission and so what this shows is daily california energy supply in 2045 and we see this huge bump up of solar that effectively squishes out all of the base load. And this blue shaded area, which is your storage in theory that doesn't exist yet. Right, it doesn't uh, exist. This is not here yet, but it's colored into this graph. But I think it's just, it's exactly what you're talking about. It, it, the, the policies almost have to change by nature because you know the technologies to get us here don't exist yet. I, I agree with you, and I'm always 
a little distressed because I'll read an article and it'll say, what we need is um, uh, low, uh, low carbon dispatchable renewables. Right. Uh, okay. Where are, what are they? Well, it depends, you know, they could right. be storage, they could be, they could be hydro, they could be, uh, I'm like, okay, well, well, how many of them you need? You know, and right. they, they don't want to answer the question. I, I, I find that there's a lot of uh, slogans, you know, 100% right. this, uh, 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 zero carbon that, and, and there's no really, uh, there's not even an assessment, much less a plan Right. Of how we're going to get there. I mean, I, a plan would be one thing and someone will say, no, the market will do it. But the market isn't really a market. I'm sorry to say. I mean, the market is the rules of the market are constantly being changed. And so it's not in my book. I have a lot of examples, which I try to simplify things where I imagine somebody who's growing zucchini and bringing it to the farmer's market. And that's a market. You know, I love the farmer's market. My wife and I are there not as much as we we should be with the kiddos, but it's the best. Yes, it's the <laughs> best. local. Right. By local. But the thing is that when you get right down to it, there are two people there, maybe vending their zucchini, and they have to keep uh, some uh, control of the price and the quality, or nobody will buy their zucchini. Right. Nobody wants soft, rotten zucchini. Right. So, what I'm saying is a market has its own rules that are rules of what are people willing to buy. Right. And uh, how much are they willing to spend and what quality they want. But the right. markets, the supposed markets in the energy sector aren't like that. I mean, the, they have all kinds of rules that change all the time. Uh, uh, sure. For example, um, uh, we in, in, in New England, we have a capacity market. And so a capacity market, the general idea is that we don't we have one market for energy that is in a kind of real-time market we look at how much energy we're good how much kilowatts we're going to need and how much kilowatts are available and 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 the grid operator matches them up trying to choose the lowest cost kilowatts first okay sure. then we have a capacity then we discovered this didn't work because uh what happens is that there's no incentive for somebody to uh build a new power plant or of, of any kind because uh, they don't know how much pay they'll get for the kilowatts from that plant. So we have a capacity market. We say, we'll give you so much for just having the capacity there ready to go when we need it. Okay, right. so We can't pay you all the time, but when we need you, you better be ready. That's right. And we're paying <laughs> yeah, you yeah. something all the time. We're paying right, you something right. in the to keep you alive. all the time to keep you alive. Well, mm -hmm. okay. So, so here comes a power plant and, and, and it has a, 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 it's getting a capacity payment. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it turns out that the, um, the, uh, the grid needs its power and it can't mm -hmm. come online or it won't right. come it can't or won't because it can't it either can't get natural gas it's a natural gas plant or right. it has uh it has um uh it has it has to pay too much for the natural gas and doesn't think that the market will will will, will pay it back well that's so, coming isn't it at ten ten dollars uh oh yeah a, a oh yeah and the thing <laughs> See, is 
the, the, the natural gas plant is what's called a merchant generator. Now, mm-hmm. when you actually worked in the old days, and I'm not saying the old days were completely right. They had their mm-hmm. problem. But the idea was that if you didn't get energy, you knew who to blame. You went to your utility, which was supposed to have either bought part of the of the um, uh, generator and make sure and bought other generators output and bought space on the transmission lines and have the distribution lines and the billing in your house in in your house okay they were in charge of it and if they didn't provide reliable electricity they would be fined Mm -hmm. well the merchant generator it's just one of a whole bunch of generators it isn't going to be in any particular trouble if it says well i'm sorry i can't afford to do this right well right now in you know in california they're adding all these gas peaker plants and they're adding even you know diesel generators and and it's causing so i would love to you know hear your take about how you know these issues are coming up we're adding back these fossil you know generation uh you know stations temporary permanent whatever we want to call them and then from a pollution standpoint, from your perspective and your history as a pollution expert, what is that doing to our disadvantaged communities who are now, you know, now instead of clean nuclear generation, they're getting exhaust effectively in their, in their neighborhoods? Well, that's, that's true. I mean, I don't know the situation as well in California, but in, in New York, they mm-hmm. closed down the Indian Point um, a power plant, uh, which was nuclear, mm-hmm. and provided about a, a, a thousand. It was a double plant, or two two plants really. It provided about a thousand high-paying jobs. Okay, and they closed it down because they're like, oh well, you know, it might be hurting the fish or something. So sure. where, where are they building the gas-fired plants? They're building them in, in disadvantaged communities because that's where they can build them. Right. I mean, well a well-organized wealthy community and you say oh i'm going to build a gas-fired power plant here they're going to be like no you're not exactly <laughs> I mean, no that ain't happening that ain't happening that here happen. <laughs> <laughs> no my golf my golf club is right here i can't have that ugly view off the 19th hole i'm not having it yeah it's it, i get it's it and it's so it's the same in new york as it is in california surprise surprise yes 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 so <laughs> i mean it, i I I don't uh, I don't I prefer nuclear to power to other kinds of power. It's low pollution. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, reliable in terms of 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 fuel supply. That is, right. if you load a nuclear plant with a fuel, it has the fuel to run for eighteen months. One load of fuel runs it for eighteen months. Actually, it can run know, it longer. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that timeline. That's impressive. And and so the thing is that the nuclear plant, if you say, "Oh, there's a gas crisis on the gas fire plants may not be able to get gas," well, the nuclear plant doesn't have a fuel problem. Right. There's no supply chain, you know, issues there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and if yeah. there were supply chain issues, you've got a whole bunch of months to think about how to solve them. Absolutely. You know, so let me let me give you another example. People keep talking about uh, nuclear as 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 very uh, uh, 
compact and energy dense. And I, I do understand that. And it is. But the thing is that the, the, the numbers that are thrown around are like billions of pounds of, uh, you know, billions of tons or millions of tons of carbon dioxide, you know, uh, compared to, you know, and then someone else will say, well, there's some, there's tons of nuclear waste. And right. I mean, it's just, you know, so pretty soon your head is kind of spinning with these right. numbers. It's like trying to figure out, you know, are the, um, how, how expensive was COVID, you know, and right. you can get, you could get a lot of different numbers on that. So yeah. what I try to do is just give an example of two power plants near me. Okay. Mm -hmm. well, the first power plant was Vermont Yankee. Mm -hmm. And it made 620 uh, megawatts of, of energy and and it refueled every 18 months. OK. Yep. And then there was the power plant, uh, uh, one of the last coal plants in this area in New Hampshire, Merrimack Station. And it made about 400, 420 uh, megawatts of power. Mm -hmm. And every day and, and it refueled every day that it was running. So what, what, what are we looking at here? We're looking at every 18 months, two semis would pull mm. up to Vermont Yankee with the fuel. Right. Every day that it was running, 40 coal cars full of coal, 100 tons of coal each, came over to Merrimack Station. Right. And I was, I, they told me that at Merrimack Station when I visited and I said, well, okay, they're telling me this. And I went home and I was like, okay, let me, let me look at the heat content of coal, the heat rate for, for a, a, a cyclone fired boiler. Let me see. And I came up with 39 and a half coal cars a day. Okay. Okay. I mean, You're you know, right it, there. <laughs> so, yes, it is. You know, so what, it, now if, if you, if somebody says to me, well, look at the nuclear waste. Well, it's one and a half semis worth every 18 months. Right, right. Well, and what I think, yeah, I agree. Cars? Yeah, what about the coal cars? And there's not that much of a footprint when you think of it in those terms. Uh, you know, in California, we had San Onofre right here. I'm born and raised in San Diego. San Onofre was shut down prematurely oh, yeah. uh, due to some maintenance issues. Now it costs money to maintain these facilities, but if you're really looking at a, you know, a science-based approach that you're using of, okay, what are the total inputs versus what am I getting out and what is the net impact on the environment? Nuclear has a very strong case. And if, yeah. if anything, we're seeing now Diablo Canyon in uh, Central California, you know, they can't decide in Sacramento, are we, are we keeping it? Are we not? How do we position ourselves so we don't have egg on our face and have worse blackouts? And it's just there, the, the lack of strategic planning, I think, is the biggest impediment to, you know, pulling off the transition or even part of the transition that we think we're going to have. Well, you see, the thing is, I mean, look, in the old days, and, and, and I understand that in the old days, we often had what we called a gold-plated grid because the power, the owners of the, uh, uh, of the utilities were paid on a, paid a percentage of their, um, of their installed capacity uh, capital. So mm -hmm. they, it, it was one of the few businesses that buying more stuff would almost automatically get you more profit. 
because you were allowed a profit depending on how much capital you had. So everybody was like, we've got to get rid of this gold-plated thing. Well, the thing about the gold-plated thing is that it turns out, in in my book, I don't know if you've read it, but the areas that are still running that way tend to be less expensive nowadays because the the non-gold-plated, the the RTO areas that are running auctions, uh, they end up having to have such a lot of redundancy and, and so much complication and so many lawyers involved and mm-hmm. uh, for example um our rto in new england has asked for i think it's a 20 million dollar year a year increase in its funding because it wants to redo the market rules oh that sounds open and honest <laughs> <laughs> right but I, I'm trying to say yeah. this isn't about buying zucchinis yeah. if you need another 20 million in funding in order to read yeah. your market rules this isn't about just looking and seeing this is yeah. clearly you're not the best zucchini farmer in town if that's what you need to have happen <laughs> well it, 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 the rules are such that one of the things that, that bothered me about the rules is that um, I named my book Shorting the Grid after the book, in homage to the book, homage, I don't know, to uh, the big short. Because uh-huh. in, in the big short, one of the things that was going on was that the rules for uh, were so elaborate mm-hmm. uh, that nobody could really follow them. But they ended up being that lending money to an iterant worker who couldn't repay it was as good a deal or maybe better than lending money to a cardiac surgeon for his house. Wow. Either, it was just, it was, it was, it, it, the, and, 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 and it turns out that in the grid, on the grid, making reliable power is not a way to make money. The way to make money is to get uh, uh, subsidies and and the people who have been best at getting subsidies have been the people providing the least reliable power now whether you like sure. solar or don't like solar you have to admit that it goes away half the day at right best. exactly and wind is worse you know I, are you on are you on twitter yes so i got I, I make this joke i i make this joke comparing pickleball i've got my pickleball racket and my pickleball here to you know the tennis players hate that this that pickleball is you know taking over their culture and take and i feel like we as a energy producers certainly those of us in oil and gas feel as though you know this inferior technology is coming and 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 there's nothing we can do to stop it it's a it's it's just it's happening whether we like it or not and that's kind of how i see i relate pickleball to wind energy and i ran a poll and said you know what's going to have a more positive impact long term on society pickleball or wind energy and it was 76% said pickleball uh so i i'm <laughs> well they're right exactly <laughs> pickleball is available to uh, a wider range of fitness levels than tennis is. I mean, that's what it boils down to, and that's why it's become so popular. Right, exactly. I mean, in some ways, tennis, in terms of the expense of a court, uh, tennis isn't an elite sport, but in terms of of how fit you have to be, it is. Exactly, yeah. And well, pickleball isn't. Yeah, I know. And and it gives it, it it's really an example that I bring it up for some fun, but also an example of 
the market is choosing pickleball for those benefits. Hey, I can play at any time. I can play it with my aunt, my uncle, whoever I want to. It's a fun, fun for everybody. And right now, uh, you know, on the, on the renewable side and where we're going with reliability and affordability, it's not fun for everybody. And we're not picking wind and solar by choice, although no. we're voting in the politicians that are ramming it down the ratepayers' throats with all the agencies. But it's not a choice like pickleball. No, it's not a choice. <laughs> it isn't a choice. And it isn't the least expensive energy or anything. People begin saying things like that. Oh, it's the least expensive energy. And yet, as more and more uh, wind and solar get on the grid, the price to the consumer goes up because the grid becomes harder to balance. You have to have more redundancy because the wind and solar aren't there all the time. I, I use an example uh, sometimes. I say, okay, let's say you have a traditional grid. You've got thermal plants on it, uh, coal plants, uh, uh, hydro mm. plants, nuclear plants and stuff. The way you, you do that grid is you say to yourself, um, uh, we want to have 120% more or less of the highest demand on the grid. We're going to have installed capacity of 120% of the highest demand on the grid. Mm -hmm. Which pushes out your base load. Yeah. No, no, that, that'll be okay. If you okay. have if you have thermal plants, then you have 120% of the highest um highest uh uh thermal and hydro. Okay. So okay, so what happens is that if one plant isn't available, you still have everything covered. Sure. Okay, because you have 120%. If you have wind and solar, you have to have at least 200 or maybe even 300% because you, you install wind, but it isn't there all the time. You install sure. solar, but it isn't there all the time. Right. So you can't assume that you're only going to lose 10% of your, uh, of your uh, generating capacity. You right. might lose a hundred percent on a, a still night, right? Still or just because it's night and the batteries are only going to last you four hours, so right. you got another eight hours in nighttime. It's I, I looked it up this morning because I woke up about five before my kiddos, and I was thinking about this. So I, I looked at Kaizo's report, and we were uh, nine, almost nine percent nuclear. We had twenty six percent just imports. Uh, so I think we know right, what that right, means. Right, right, uh, right. 8% oh. large hydro, 40% natural gas. So we, between 40, between natural gas and imports, we're at 66%. Uh, and we did have 15% renewable, but um, the wind was working last night. So that was the breakdown when I woke up and I needed coffee, eggs, uh, cartoons, <laughs> right. all before the sun came up. Yes, yes, absolutely true, and and uh, that that is the the uh, break. Now you you understand that I consider. I, I have you heard of my little fatal trifecta idea? Yes, I was reading about. Please tell the energy strong audience about it. I I I loved it when I was reading about it. Okay, well the thing is that I look at what is a fatal trifecta for a grid. Well, the first part of the trifecta is that you have um, renewables, too many of them, a lot of them, yep. 
which, uh, which go on and off when they want to go on and off. They have nothing to do with the load. If right. you've ever been in a uh, uh, grid operator's control room, you know that they're following the, the, the demand on the grid very, very carefully mm -hmm. because they have to tell plans to go online and offline to match the demand. It you got to balance everything. Very, it has to be totally balanced. Right. So there, but the meanwhile, uh, the uh, wind and solar going on and off what they want. Sure. So what you need is fast response uh, power plants to take up when they go off when you don't want them to. Yep. So what are these fast response power plants? They're gas. Yep. That's what they are. Right. Uh, steam plants such as um, uh, uh, coal or nuclear can load follow very nicely, but they can't, they're not fast response. Right, you can't just and, fire it up in a moment's notice. Yes, and so the thing is, the thing you can do that with is gas fire plants. Yep. So they have gas fire plants. So the second thing is, in a fatal trifecta, is you depend on gas. You get to gas to be 40%, 50%. Yep, which is what we uh, just saw. Yep, which is where we were at with California. So we're, yes. we're two for two. <laughs> yes, so the, one of the things about gas, though, is that it's very, it's delivered just in time. It's not mm -hmm. stored on site. And mm -hmm. so if there's a problem with a compressor, if there's a problem with, uh, uh, for example, in the Northeast and in the uh, uh, central uh, area of the country during the winter, uh, you, you need gas is diverted to homes. Homes have first call on it. So yep. the power plants can't necessarily get gas. Uh, and mm. so uh, at any rate, the second part of the fatal trifecta is you depend on gas all the time and you may not be able to get it either right. because of, uh, uh, you know, uh, it gets too expensive or the- Yeah, I was going to say, if you, if you can get it, half of it's going to Europe or more. I was just reading the Wall Street Journal, the backlog on orders for LNG uh, oh. ships is it's like 256 are planned to be built. I mean, they can't build the LNG ships fast enough. So now all our gas is going to be shipped overseas and it's going to be astronomically expensive here at mm -hmm. home. It's and people have no idea how that's going to hit their utility bill. I mean, it turns out that uh, in the Northeast, we get about 30 shiploads of LNG a year. Unbelievable, yeah, yeah. And, and the, none of them come from this country. Right. Because of the Jones Act, you can't, yep. you, you have to use an American flag chip, mm -hmm. ship to, to move something from, from one American port to another. And we don't have any American flagged LNG ships. And so all the LNG is imported. Wow. Unbelievable, it isn't it? Okay, yeah, so that's the second. So the, the third, yeah, I interrupted. The, Sorry, third the third one is, that you're going to, if all else fails, you'll get uh, energy from your neighbors. Right. Which well, that doesn't work when the whole Southwest is 108 degrees. No, it doesn't work when the whole Southwest is 108 degrees. I mean, all kinds of people were saying, well, you know, Texas would have been all right if it had been collected, connected to the grid. Well, the S Southwest Power Pool and so forth were having problems of their own. They weren't going to explore to Texas. Yeah, As a matter right. of fact, uh, we have a similar situation here in, 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 in New England because we depend on uh, Hydro-Quebec. Mm -hmm. And Hydro-Quebec uh, actually begins importing power from Quebec, I'm sorry, from Ontario and sometimes from New England in the depths of winter. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we can't just say, oh, well, if, if we can't get gas because <laughs> homes are using it, we'll get uh, 
electricity from Hydro Quebec? No. Right. Nobody <laughs> wants to be in the dark. <laughs> Nobody wants to be in the dark. And I, I consider that one of the first rules of being a grid operator is take care of your own people first. I Don't love that. Out. I think, yeah, a, a local solution for local people paying for the local product and the local service company. Yes. And you have to take care of them first. If nothing else, they vote for the um, for the uh, legislators right. who control the grid operator. Ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to be gone. <laughs> you're going to be gone. Well, and that's what happened. I was in uh, an undergrad at Pepperdine at the time in 2001, but we had rolling blackouts and Gray Davis was recalled, you know, shortly yes. thereafter. The people do not like to be in the dark and they will they will get rid of you if you're a political leader. Um, I have a couple questions that I wanted to be sure to ask you. Okay. Uh, I know you talk about in your book, um, you know, climate change. And the question I have around this, and it ties into your last statement about the responsibility is to kind of protect the local market, but what role do grid operators and energy producers have to solve climate change? I mean, do we, do we have the tools to solve it or does the responsibility really fall in, and I'm leading you in my opinion with, you know, less consumption, frankly, um, and proper planning. But what role do the grid operators have in well, fixing the climate? Know. The grid operators is a, is a kind of a squishy concept. I'm not clear mm -hmm. exactly who is the grid operator. The, the, Let's the talk agencies as a whole. Let's okay. just lump government <laughs> and agencies because they're basically government-run entities at this point. Well, you know, the, the, the government-run entities could encourage a build-out build of nuclear, mm -hmm. and that would solve a lot, of, a lot of problems. Now, you understand that the, the rhetoric is all like, we have to get to 100%. Well, look at, if we, right now, as you said, in, 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 in Vermont and in California, we're like 80% uh, fossil, right? Right. Right. So, you know, if we got to being 40% uh, uh, fossil or 30%, that would be a big improvement, right? Be huge. So the trouble is that everybody has got this sloganeering going along. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, uh, I, uh, there's a man in New York who's done a, an analysis of, of how much uh, electricity is um, base load that is it has to be there 24 hours a day seven right. days a week that's a good and way it, to look at it and it just looks at not and and it turns out that he looked at every different area of new york he looked at new york city he looked at the genesee area he looked at the middle of new york which is pretty much farms and mm -hmm. every place about 60 to 70 percent uh was uh of the electricity that was used was electricity that has to be there 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And so if you had nuclear for that, you'd have a lot of problems solved. Right. The next thing is, well, what do you do about the others? Well, you know, you could use a mixture, it would be expensive, but you could use a mixture of, of, of hydro, uh, hydro, solar, uh, some natural gas and and mm -hmm. and it would be a lot cleaner grid than now right so i'm 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 i just i'm uh it is not inevitable that we are going to go 
away from we're going to go to 100% renewables. It is, it is a policy that has been put in place by people who have not looked at the end game of the policy. We can right. see some of the end game right now in, in England, in, in, in Germany. Sure. We yep. can see we can see that they now you say, well, look, you know, they're, they're dealing with with Russia and Russia doesn't want to supply them natural gas. So, you know, it's not like that here. And I'm going right. to say, yeah, we're dealing with Canada and Canada is not is very reliable when they're not having their own problems. Right. Right. And we could all and we could have the reliability. We have the resources in New York or we have the resources in California, whether they're fossil fired. And it's like you said, a smaller percentage, which is an improvement. And we're, we're, we're chasing this perfection. We're chasing the perfect game. And as a result, to get to the perfect game, you're paying the highest price and you have it's prohibitively expensive. And so it's it's just it's it's sad uh, for me to see, but it's I think you're exactly right. It's not inevitable that we're going to get to 100% renewables. I don't I don't think it's even possible personally. No, it isn't possible. It isn't. Uh, but you know, I, I I don't like to say that to people because people get annoyed. As a matter of fact, when I first mm -hmm. wrote my book, I wanted to talk about how the auction process. When mm -hmm. I first began conceptualizing shorting right. the grid. I wanted to show how the auction process was distorting our our markets and and, mm -hmm. and 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 so forth. And I didn't actually want to talk about renewables much because people say, oh, you're just bashing them. Mm -hmm. And I discovered I could not talk about the markets without talking about the fact that the subsidized renewables have a huge effect on the markets. Right. You have to talk about it. And so it, it's, I ended it's, up, it's just factual. Yeah. It's just factual. And mm -hmm. I decided, okay, so somebody will say you're bashing renewables. Fine, mm -hmm. let them let them say that. And meanwhile, you can look at if anybody wants to, they can go to um, energymap.org, uh -huh. mm -hmm. and they can look at the uh, carbon content of the uh, power produced in different countries. Mm -hmm. And you can look, and you can see that Sweden and France. Are usually green, very low, and Ontario, very low carbon power. They all of those, well, mostly uh, Sweden has a mixture of hydro and and nuclear. Uh, France is mostly nuclear. Mm. Ontario is hydro and nuclear. Okay, that's why they're green. You go to Germany; they spent like uh, half a trillion dollars on renewables. They're not green. They're, no. They're, they're 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 full of, of of natural gas and 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 from Russia. Why are they so panicked about the natural gas thing? For Pete's sake, right. if they if the new renewables have been able to do it, exactly. So, yeah, I I just uh, I just so, feel this. It's is you can look at it as a sweet thing that is we're looking for perfection, or you can look at it as a bad thing, which it is, which is slogans are not plans right and slogans lead to again broken promises and that's yes. that's where unfortunately this is ending for everybody <laughs> worldwide with this contagion under yeah. these slogans um so i guess the last question i know we've we've talked about you know nuclear and and some of the fixes and how some of these you know green grids are relying on nuclear how do we help the consumer 
buy local. I'm big on buying local and, and responsibly sourcing our energy. Do you see a day where policymakers really start to say, okay, American public, Vermont public, California public, we shouldn't be getting our energy from Saudi Arabia. We shouldn't be getting our energy from Russia. We should be doing everything we can to buy local, to support the local zucchini farmer, the local energy producer. Do you see that day coming? I, I feel like we started to see it with when the invasion in Ukraine happened and everybody said, oh, wow, where's all the Russian oil going? And you kind of, everybody mapped it and then it kind of dies off. But do you, how do we help the consumer buy local over the long term, I guess, is the simplified question. Okay. Well, you, you see, the thing is, you have to uh, produce local first. Now, one of the things is, that, as I say, you can, you can build nuclear plants. Another mm -hmm. thing you can do is you can, um, I mean, the whole business where uh, the president told the oil industry that he was going to shut them down. And then the next day he's over in Saudi Arabia asking them to increase their production of oil. I mean, right. And then just the other day, the Saudi prince says, wait, the market's going down. We need to cut our production. So it's, yeah, right. What is well, this? The Saudi prince is going to take care of his own people and his own profits before he begins thinking about what, what America needs. Right. America's need, America has to be ready to meet its own needs with uh, either uh, purchases or homegrown. And homegrown is better because homegrown is, is something that we're really lucky to have. I mean, I was, I was trying to write something. I said, it's really good if, if energy can be self-sufficient. But, you know, many countries can't pull that off. If they're a small country without fossil resources and, and, and maybe a small flat country without right. hydro, they're not going to be able to be even partially energy self-sufficient. And right. uh, um, I, I guess the thing is, I, I get very... Uh, I, I, the other thing I, I want is that I don't like to batter the consumer with uh, guilt tripping about using right. energy. Right. I mean, that isn't, if you come out here, you will discover that people often drive their cars a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, and same out here that. too. I just did a road trip to Colorado. <laughs> I yes, didn't see but, many EVs. But you know something, even if you are just a really careful person and you don't want to hurt the world and you're not going to do a road trip to Colorado because it's evil, yeah. you might be a plumber who lives in White River Junction. Yep. And 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 if you're living in White River Junction, you can't count on the, the town of Hartford, a total of mm -hmm. 11,000 people to support mm -hmm. your, your, your trade. Yep. You have yep. to be willing to travel. Absolutely. You know, and I, I it's, a drywall person. What, if you, what I'm trying to say yeah. is people in rural areas actually need their cars for mm -hmm. many, many things. And, and uh, or, or for example, I, I happen to live like, eight miles or so from a really big hospital. Mm -hmm. A lot of people live a lot further. That's why that hospital has a helicopter. Right, exactly. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, people have to get weights. You're mentioning this. I'm on my way right when we stop recording this straight to Bakersfield from San Diego. And that's 220 miles. And I don't have time to, to charge halfway, which is what it would take because they don't tell you there's elevation changes and it's really hot out and the batteries don't last. So, um, oh, of course not. It's, uh, mean- people have to get to where they got to go for work, leisure or whatever they're doing. Um, and it's just a fact of the matter. Um, well, thank you. You know, is there anything I want to be sure people have an opportunity? Where can people buy your book and follow you and and just be engaged with your blogging and, and future work? Oh, great. Thank you for asking. But, yeah. Uh, my, you can get my book. Um, you could go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it. They almost cer- certainly won't have it in stock, but they can get it from Ingram Spark. If, uh, if you are on Amazon, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can also get it um, at, at, uh, at Walmart. You can get it nice. all kinds of places. Good. I mean, you have to order it there because they don't have a bunch sure. of, you know, it's, it's a kind of niche book, you know, uh, and, and uh, so you can order it online and then the audiobook is just available. So I really like that. I love it because it's good for commuters. Uh, I love audiobooks, right. I've read yeah. your book, but I love audiobooks too. <laughs> and, 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 and the, the man who reads it, uh, Eric Meyer, is uh, the founder of Generation Atomic. And he got, he left. No being, way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Very and cool. And he's also, he decided to be a, a, an advocate for nuclear energy and um, he uh, he left a, a budding career in opera. He has wow. a great voice. Oh, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna download the book just to listen to it again. Then, <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's available on Audible. It's also available on oh, all kinds of other. I don't even know the names of all the different oh, services great. you can get it from. So they and, just need, uh, they need they need to search. Oh, you can get it from Apple name, Books, right? Shorting the Grid by Meredith yeah. Angwin, and yeah, they'll so find it can, absolutely. Meredith Angwin and Shorting the Grid. Let me also say that if you go to my uh, MeredithAngwin.com, pretty easy to remember. I have a blog. I don't really blog often enough, but there are some good uh, uh, posts on that blog. I've and, enjoyed and, it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then. Um, you can also sign up on that blog, on that website, rather, for my email list, and I, I will send you an email. And then you can follow me on Twitter, at Meredith Angwin. I don't follow you yet. I need to follow you. I'm going to do that right when we stop recording. But yeah, uh, so well, I- on behalf of the Energy Strong uh, Nation and our family, and hopefully this goes beyond that group of, of professionals, but thank you for what you're doing to research a very important topic and one that I think is at the top of everybody's minds. And if it's not today, it will be come winter. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you very much, Meredith, for for being on the Energy Strong podcast. We appreciate you. And thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, have a great day. Thank you You so much.